0: Want the reward? Do the damn work. Challenge yourself. Inspire change. Choice, not luck. Hey everybody, this is Todd Crandall with another episode of Ignite Euphoria and you are in for a treat today. I have this awesome dude, Mr. Stephen Nemeth, all the way from Los Angeles. How are you, sir?
1: I'm, I'm swell, but uh, manage your expectations,
0: please. <laughs> I love when you email me that the other day. I get my, my expectations are way up here with you, you know?
1: Yeah, I hate it when people say, oh, this movie, is going." we're going to make the greatest movie. Well, no, you don't know that. Your intention is to make it great. Let's see where it goes. Anyhow, I digressed already.
0: Well, no, let's, Uh. well, I tell you what, let's start with this. Why don't you tell everybody who you are and what you do with respect to making movies?
1: Oh, oh all right. Well, uh, that's certainly cutting to the chase. Um, I wanted to tell you about my morning first, but I guess that'll have to wait for the next episode. Though.
0: Well, you um, can, you do what you want. You want to talk no, about the I morning?
1: I appreciate that. I appreciate that. So I, I am, I am. I don't want to be defined as a movie producer, but I am, and I think I'm pretty good at it. And I think my taste is really good. I don't mean to. I, I just I only only say that because I share taste with people I find incredibly tasteful, and uh, you know, and get involved with material that is basically you know generated by people who are you know almost universally known and and uh, objectively known as you know, um, worthy of the time, effort, and energy to, to you know, to, to, to film, essentially. But um, I am in, currently in the narrative f- feature business, A, because I love it, but because I am I'm doing so to fund my documentary habit, uh, let's not call it an addiction, but we can segue into that, vis-a-vis this, uh, this podcast and your life's mission. Um, well, one of your life's missions. Sure. Um, and I, you know, I'm more of a, I'm, I'm really more of a, of a, a social justice advocate, a um, an environmental advocate. I um, sit on quite a few boards, which I think probably somehow is connected to a need to satisfy my, my insecurities. But I, um, I zero in on really um, interesting movies, mostly biopics um, mostly adaptations are fine pieces of, of literature by known entities, because it's really lower hanging fruit. It's not something you need to explain to people, um, uh, you know, the, the motivation for, uh, the motivation by which you are doing it, uh, for which the motivation for which you're doing it. Uh, I also find it more interesting. I also, frankly, um, like a good documentary, I'd rather zero in on true stories and stuff I'm going to learn from then roll the dice on crappy fiction that may or may not work or may or may, or may not move the needle. Um, and I think that stems from my ADD because I don't read swiftly. And if I'm going to take two hours of my life or five hours of my life to read uh, a book, I would. Re- I would much prefer a a nice Eleanor Roosevelt biography over, again, some piece of crappy fiction that may or may not be crappy. I just don't know until I've read it. But at least I know that when I read the Eleanor Roosevelt biography, I'm going to learn something about her. And I'm already predisposed because I find her interesting. Um, And I don't know if she'd refer to herself as she, her, or she, they now. I'm not sure, actually. That would be interesting. She was a complicated character. Um, I would, God, that's, a, that's good. I, I know her daughter, uh, I'm sorry, her granddaughter, Juliana, I'm gonna ask her. Um, and I didn't choose Eleanor Roosevelt because I knew her granddaughter. That was just a weird, random, serendipitous nugget I just threw in there. Uh, so anyhow, I, I make really, I think, really interesting movies and it's not about quantity, it's about quality. I know plenty of people that make movies. Just because they like to make movies and be on sets, that's not me. Um, and I was a, a, I was a bad actor early on, then I became an agent at William Morris for, you know, less than a year. And then I moved on to start the movie division of the Rhino Record Company, started by uh, my brother-in-law and his partner. And then we spun off the movie company when the Warner Record Group bought Rhino Records. So I am, have been heading up the Rhino Records Company, I'm sorry, the Rhino Films Company, which was a division of the sort of pop culturally and iconic record company, Rhino, which still is, uh, for 25 years or so. And that's really my brand, I suppose. And I have an obligation to, you know, to uh, maintain the integrity of the brand that, uh, you know, you um, know, that deserves that. So I can't just make anything. I don't want to just make anything. I don't know if that's, you know, too much of a circuitous response to your question, but you know, I'm a, yes, I'm a movie producer and I like to zero in on stuff that matters. That you know, yeah. Sorry. you're
0: as usual and it's, you know, when I had the pleasure of hanging out with you a couple of weeks ago in person and I, I said this to, you know, my, uh, to Julie, who was with us, you know, you met her as well. And when we left your house, we both said, you know, he never talked about any of the things that he's done once. And on, I think on the back of that Racing for Recovery shirt, it has empathy, humility, and gratitude on it. And that really struck me as you were we were talking about all kinds of things, music and stories and laughing and fruit and all kinds of stuff. And you never really talked about yourself. And I, I found that very interesting. It's rare that you meet people that at some point don't say anything about themselves. And the reason I led with that question is I simply wanted people to know what you do. And I appreciate you answering the question the way you did.
1: Oh, that's awfully, awfully kind of you. I really appreciate you saying that. I appreciate you noticing that. It's not a conscious, you know, decision. But I I do also recognize when people are completely self-centered and only talk about themselves and never ask how you are. So so thank you for being the person that, that, you know, zeroes in on things that are rather subtle and important.
0: So now, why don't you talk about your morning?
1: Oh, that's so sweet. Uh, well, we have a, um, I have a, a house guest that moved in yesterday uh, because her house is being demoed up the street, and uh, it's not that interesting a morning, by the way. It's just that she has um, a puppy that, uh, you know, as puppies do, urinate, uh, uh-huh. and she sort of lost dropped the ball, and I was running around chasing a puppy who. Uh, has a tendency to you know want to spot all over and I love dogs as much as Julie. We both you know have friends to rescue Weimaraners and I do as well um, but the problem with peeing dogs and cats is not that they they pee it's that you don't know when and where they've peed so you don't have the opportunity to clean up that pee and then before long your house becomes that house that everybody says, well, they're a nice guy, but, you know, kind of smelled like pee. And you sort of don't recognize that your house smells like pee because it's been subtly building up because of all the pee that's been laid, you know, stealthily, you know, on the leg of a chair, under a piano, etc. So uh, it was a little, as I was chasing it around with a cup of coffee, you know, and obviously spilling the coffee everywhere, that kind of thing. So it's not that interesting a story and I apologize, but I do have a, if we have time in this podcast, I will tell you a really good dog poo story. Okay.
0: Well, I'm going to ask you some, for some stories today and I'm going to give you a story about the the house smelling like pee a little bit. My grandmother, who I wouldn't be here without her and there'd be no racing for recovery without her. She had a couple of cats, um. And her house had that uh, aroma, if you will. And she never thought there was anything wrong. And I'm like, Grandma, this place reeks. We gotta do something here. And she's <laughs> like, what do you mean? I can't smell anything, you know? But um, yeah, so I understand,
1: right? You And you first used that, that word reek when you smoked your first joint. Probably Correct. in 1980-something
0: something right yeah when you when you're it told reeks. that you, it reeks
1: right that was the first time i ever used the word reek i think <laughs> anyhow
0: so you're wearing a racing for recovery shirt which i appreciate what let me ask you this um what's your interest in racing for recovery and what do you think you can do with this thing of ours
1: well I think in full disclosure, it's important to know that I wanna support you and all the other, you know, um, clean, sober, recovering people that I know and love and the ones that I don't. Um, But I, in full disclosure, am not a sober person. Um, I'm not an addict, however. And I'm blessed, I believe, to have a non-addictive personality. And at some point in my friendship with you, you may say you're delusional, dude uh, but I don't think I am. No. Um, I, you know, I moderate, I enjoy a glass of I, a wine and beer and what have you and a cocktail here and there, but I just don't have the need or the desire to indulge in excess, nor do I have any, you know, predilections for drugs, uh, of any kind, really. Um, I do, however, appear to be sort of a magnet for people that do, which is bizarre. Um, And I don't know if that's uh, a a need of mine (laughs) to be, you know, maternal or paternal, sorry. Um, Or maternal, I guess, I mean, mother earth, et cetera. Um, But I do have a lot of people in my life that do need help uh, and or have gotten help and I'm extremely proud of. Um, So much of the, you know, of the addiction, you know, paradigm, and I'm no expert, you are, it is really, I think, um, obviously driven by a lot of people who have issues they don't have the ability to get help with, whether it's, you know, anxiety disorder or or depression or, you know, bipolar disorder or whatever. It's the old age-old adage of self-medication that people turn to to feel better. And um, And so, in many respects, it's not, well, in every respect, it's not really their fault. So... This is not their choice. It's like all sorts of things. It's not a choice. Um, the choice is I suppose, as you would probably underscore is choosing to lick it <clears throat> and choosing to get it behind you and being you know, strong and diligent and maintaining that which is kind of an amazing feat as I don't know what the revitism rate is but I think it's rather high. If I'm not mistaken, it the is. problem with that revisit revisitism rate, <laughs> revisit, say that ten times fast.
0: Recidivism, recidivism,
1: recidivism, recidiv- recidivism rate is that I think what happens is people will let's say they you know they do I don't know twelve bumps of cocaine a day and then they've stopped or eight balls or whatever they are. And then when they choose to, you know, break their sobriety a month or six months or three weeks later, whatever it is, they have a tendency to A, overdo it or B, do what they typically did, but their body can't handle it anymore. And then they die, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just, you know, sort of underscoring a point you already know, and most of your listeners already know. But so if you're going to get clean and sober, you got to get serious about it because, I would think, and again, I'm I'm just, I think I'm just theorizing here that you have a much more likely chance of dying if you, well, I don't know. It's stupid of me to say, I'm no expert. I just feel like, you know, you're really playing with fire if you actually, you know, decide one night, ah, I can handle it. You know, I did it for a month. Whoa, look at me, you know, and then good night. You know, that's just so damn sad. And I've also, Again, I've had so many interesting people in my life, very well-known people. And one of them is no secret, it's Hunter Thompson. Um, not that he was a good friend of mine. Um, I mean, I've only met him, well, I met him quite a few times on the phone and in on the movie set. I produced a film called Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which is the drug Bible, I suppose, of the of that period. Um, or one of them, one of two or three. Um, And he, you know, um, he clearly was, you know, he's a brilliant man, a great writer, a character beyond your wildest imaginations. But the drug use was so excessive and so intense that it was obviously very clear that he was just numbing whatever pain he was experiencing. And that was probably emotional. In the end, he killed himself from what we are all told was actual physical pain from his back and whatever ailments that were, you know, causing him to to, uh, be wheelchair-bound. But a lot of, you know, here's a guy that, would he have been as interesting and as funny? Um, I don't know, I don't know. Would he have gone to the lengths he did and and become uh, as well-known and outlandish as he was uh, if he were, you know, drinking, you know, 66 ounces of water a day, I don't know. But um, I guess my point is, is that so many of these really, um, these folks for no fault of their own are turning to something to help themselves when nobody else is really there to help them with the things that they really need help with. So, um, and to that end, um, I was introduced to you via John Sullivan, uh, and his other ba- Little League baseball coach in Malibu, who apparently, kudos to them, they won their regional championship. Yes, um, they did. Yeah, which, by the way, is a big deal. I mean, I think that's a big deal. It is. Um, and um, so anyhow, he turned me on to the project he was doing with you, and then I started to research you, um, and you're even better better in person than you are on paper and you're way more handsome than i had expected and you do have a tattoo or two in case anybody was wondering um and you do have a tendency to spend too much money on t-shirts but maybe that's just a one-off <laughs> thing it's a way of maybe that's the addiction you have which is fine you know you you're, you're your a bad one for another one that's fairly innocuous
0: you're you're bringing up a, a defenseless Judas Priest shirt that I wore to your house on this podcast.
1: Do you think you'll lose sympathy and empathy from people if they knew how much you paid for that t-shirt?
0: Yeah, I. Um, that was pretty. Right, let's, that's, not, it, let's, let's not. Let's not do there. that. Yeah.
1: No, let's not. Let's not go there because you know. I. But incidentally, I once went to a an ACLU event in downtown Los Angeles for lunch. It was a fundraiser and I was pulling my car in, and I was about five minutes late for the lunch, and they handed me the valet tickets downtown LA. It's very difficult to park. And it was $40 to park. And I said, $40 to park? You gotta be kidding me. And they said, well, you know, if you're going to lunch, it's only, you know, validated and it'll be $16. I said, God, $16, that's crazy. And I'm gonna make a point here, by the way. Um, <laughs> and. They said, well, where, where, where are you having lunch? I said, I'm going to the ACLU luncheon. They said, well, that's not a lunch. That's an event. So we don't validate for that. So it'll be $40. And I said, you got to be kidding me. And at the time, I uh, was uh, on a board uh, where we were building schools in Africa for primarily for girls. And we could send a young girl for, in Africa to school for a year for $16. Wow. And I looked at the guy, I looked at the valet attendant, not that he could do anything about it. I said, dude, just let me slide through here. I'll take that $16 and send the girl in Africa to school for a year. Wow. He said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I don't have the authority to do that. Their cameras looking at me and blah, 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 blah. I said, all right, I, I, I appreciate that. I backed out and I, I, I looked for street parking for about 25 minutes, I found it, I raced down the block, I was sweating, I was late for lunch, but I just couldn't do that, you know? Couldn't pay $40 to park, I couldn't justify that. Even, I mean, could I afford it? You know, who, who can afford $40 to park? It's not right, it's obscene. Right. But in New York City, it's probably a hundred, so I'm probably being laughed at by folks in the East. But the point is, is that let's have a sense of perspective You know, um, and let's think about what we could do with this money for that cause and that money for this cause, et cetera, et cetera, uh, when we are, you know, indulging. Having said that, your indulgence with that one T-shirt is okay because you do so much for so many, and if that gave you some pleasure, I'm really happy for you. Um, (laughs) The point is, is that the $40 spent on parking gave me no pleasure, helped no one except the bottom line of of a hotel corporation. And so I I had to, I had to defy it. I had to be a fighter in that moment.
0: You know, I talking to you like this, I like you even more. And it's interesting. I've, I've been called many things and, I know my faults, and one of my faults is I am a terrible businessman when it comes to money. But I will say this, when it comes to passion and just doing the right thing, I'm, quote, a millionaire in that. And I can guarantee you at some point that Judas pre shirt, I will give that away to somebody else because that's kind of, that's what I do. And I, I do want to, I want to bring this up. You reminded me of a, uh, I was doing Ironman South Africa. I think this was 2003. And, you know, and the bikes that we ride they're you could buy a car with how much some of these bikes cost. And thankfully, one of my bikes that I used at that time was given to me for some of the things I do with Racing for Recovery. But having said that, I'm riding, um, and we went through a powder South South Africa. We were in Port Elizabeth, and we went through a section where it was absolute poverty. I mean, shanties on the side of the road. And there was these kids outside who had no shoes on, no shirt, playing, and they were wanting me to give them something. So I took my water bottles that had my nutrients to actually do the the Iron Man in, and I threw my bottles to them. And I watched these kids go after these bottles like they were gold. And it really, it really, um, it it changed me. It it literally did. I said, this is not right. I'm riding this very expensive bike, doing this event, and here these guys probably don't know where they're going to get their next meal from. And it kind of brought life's perspective back to me. And um, I eventually, I started running out of gas, meaning I didn't have enough stuff in me, I had to stop at an aid station and get some nutrients in me. And I ne- I never, I'll never forget that story. You know, seeing kids living like that, it really resonated with me. So maybe I'll take the Judas pre shirt over there.
1: I don't know if it's going to be the best and highest use for it, <laughs> because I think keeping you happy to Keep you going to keep doing the things you're doing is probably for the greater good than one child getting that T-shirt and not knowing, not caring about it the way you did. Good not point. Not even knowing Judas Priest. But um, I want to talk about a T-shirt story and a Guatemala, a Guatemala story in a second. But I want to, uh, I want to ma- mention the bicycle situation. You, because you are a messenger for a cause, and you're on this insane and impressive mission which I, I'm so humbled by, um, you need the highest tech, best equipment you can get to compete on that level. Because if you're not competitive and you're not, you know, at the top of your game, you're, gonna f- you're, you're not gonna fade because you're relevant, you always will be. You will fade from that platform, from, from that, you know, uh, microphone that you need, to even, to be even more effective in, in, with your respect to your mission. So I don't begrudge you a moment for having a $13,000 bicycle or whatever it seven twenty, titanium, this and that, you know, um, because, you know, you need it and you didn't, somebody sponsored you and that was great and you need to be competitive. Okay. So that's my point. No guilt there, but I get, I get, the, the visceral, you know, empathy you feel with the children who just were so excited to get a mm. bottle of water. Maybe it was that you were their idol and, you know, they got your bottle of water. How about that? Wow. Um, I have a really, really funny t-shirt story. Do you, I mean, is the format here free and
0: You're good, let it roll.
1: Okay, I just don't want to bogart, you know, the time with stuff that may or may not be relevant. You know or okay so there's this hysterical comedy writer by the name of bruce vilanch i think it's v-i-l-a-n-c-h uh he you'd know him from hollywood squares um and he was Bette midler's writer and he wrote he writes for probably still the academy awards he's just a brilliant brilliant raconteur and comedy writer and a really lovely man he's and he's large and he is famous for his t-shirt collection and he had thousands of t-shirts i don't know why people give them to him he saves them i think he wears them once or twice and he was telling me once that he'd sent a crate of t-shirts to somewhere in africa okay and because i said what do you do with them all speaking of judas priest t-shirts going to wherever you were and he said well i um I I stayed in a warehouse, but I did ship this one crate to Africa. And I said, you know, and I don't know how it came up, but this is one of the most serendipitous and coincidental moments I I can imagine. I said, you know, I was up late at night and I was watching one of those terribly sad commercials, uh, Save the Children commercials, with, you know, 15, 18, 20 kids uh, in frame and the camera panning on them and... um, And, you know, give however much blah, blah, blah. And I said, there was this one kid I thought was hysterical. He was not hysterical. I'm sorry. I thought it was visually sort of uh, interesting to see this kid, very skinny, in an enormous Blake Carrington t-shirt or Blake Carrington for president or something like that. Blake Carrington was the protagonist on Dynasty, a cheesy show in the 80s, right? And Bruce, and, and Bruce says to me, oh, did it have a, st- a wine stain on the right shoulder? And I said, well, I, that sounds familiar. I think so. He said, well, that's my T-shirt. There's only one of them. I remember spilling wine on it at a party. And it was in that crate that went to Africa. And you saw my T-shirt on television. <laughs> now, now That's, come awesome. on. that's good.
0: That's good. Yeah. You know, I, I gotta I gotta tell you, buddy. Talking to you like this, it when you know when we were hanging out and just doing the sports trivia and telling these stories, I, I love it. So to answer your question about this format, we don't have a format. It say whatever you want and let it go. Who is
1: the Who is the five foot three inch shortstop or second baseman for the Kansas City Royals?
0: Oh my God. I have no, Adam, Jimmy, I do you have idea that? But no, my producer's drawing a blankie. I don't know. I,
1: I'm not a baseball freak, but it's Freddie Patek. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. Google it. Not, yeah. not now, but well, where it's did five, we... three. maybe it's 5'4", five, 5'5". Five, five. Sorry, Freddie.
0: We're not Googling, though, right? That goes against know, the we're
1: thing. Not. We're not. But the person to your right can. Is... <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um... <clears throat> oh, by the way, I had a girlfriend whose brother... Was in the Peace Corps in Guatemala, and he was living in this little town. We went to visit him one week. I don't remember when. I would think just before Christmas. And um, we asked them what the kids would really want, and you know, not that it's the best you know example to set, but he said they really love candy, you know, good candy. So we filled a suitcase with candy, and we we just took a big suitcase to this little town. And I can't tell you, uh, a la your experience on the bike, how wonderful it was just to hand out yeah. nice, big, beautiful candy bars and things to kids who, you know, never get that kind of treat. And it was, oh, my God. I mean, the, the point is, we do things selfishly to make ourselves feel better, sadly, if we have a conscience. Um, but the residual benefits are that other people are important thing is that other people are you know i don't know the recipients of our let's call it largesse but that's being generous
0: i you know it's i love that we're talking about this um i I saw motley Crue. where was i Uh, uh sunday night in detroit they played up in detroit which by the way uh your buddy john will be going to elton john with us so that's that's all good but I he's
1: having drinks at my house tonight oh is he Yes, he's got a fundraiser in L.A. tomorrow night, and I can't make that. But I said, if you're in town the night before, I'll have a few people over and let's, you know, and I've got a half a dozen really, really interesting and, uh, you know, meaningful folks in the movie business from Detroit coming tonight. And he'll awesome. have a, it'll be very, very, I think um, it'll move his needle, so to speak. But anyhow, thank you for that.
0: No problem. I kind of
1: ambushed you with that invite, but you were so gracious.
0: All good. I'm looking forward to that but I, I am looking forward to that. I, and, um, with respect to the, to Motley Crue show, I, I had a pair of, uh, Tommy Lee's drumsticks that we got from a little thing before the show or whatever. And I saw this guy who had a Motley Crue shirt on a hat on a, a bracelet. I mean, he was all decked out in Motley Crue and I sarcastically said, Hey, are you a Motley Crue fan? And he kind of looked at me like, of course I am. And I, handed him tommy lee's drumsticks and the guy was just over the moon with that and it's i love doing stuff like that
1: right how much better is that for you right now in this moment than to have them in a drawer somewhere I exactly fantastic yes i love i love random acts of kindness they're good things They're they're just the best oh i had a story once where i was walking um out of uh, the Ritz Carlton in Pasadena at a lunch and a woman hit me um, back to her big old Cadillac into me as I was walking to my car and I was okay, though I was bleeding a little on my knee and my pants were torn a bit and I was a little bit stunned and an elegant older woman got out of the car. She must've been 80, some 80, I don't know. And she said, what did I just hit? And I said, you got really lucky. She said, why? I said, because you hit me. And she said, what do you mean? I said, you got really lucky. You hit me. And she was confused by what that meant. Mm -hmm. And what I was thinking at that moment is that woman could be my mom. I could be the most litigious asshole on the planet and make her life so miserable for nothing. Right. You know? And... She said, Oh, okay, uh, great. And she drove away. Now that moment I felt really angry at her from, and I thought, damn, you know, she didn't even say, Honey, can I can I have your address and send you some flowers? Can I send you a thank you note or thank you so much for being so cool? Nothing, right? Now I don't judge her because she was, I think, panicking at the moment and just wanted to get out of dodge and scared and probably had never done something like that, or it's a daily occurrence, I don't know. But when she left, I felt anger, and then I thought, wait a second, I'm not supposed to be letting her off the hook for her. I'm letting her off the hook for me and for all the other people, you know, that that could have conceivably have happened to. Though I do think she should have said thank you. Right. (laughs) And, you know, I wasn't really hurt. I was bleeding, though, strangely enough. Um, um, and it was fine. But again, I mean, can you imagine, I mean, my wife accidentally tapped a person in her car so much so at a red light that my daughter didn't even know they had tapped another car and the woman sued her and took her to court and, you know, claimed uh, injuries and this. And that's what, I mean, it's a, that's a bit of a metaphor for, or an example of why so many things are so screwed up, you know? Yeah, It's why we pay huge insurance costs. It's why they're, you know, I mean, people in situations like that go bankrupt or 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 crazy and mm. do bad things to themselves, you know? So we just have to step up our game with respect to morality and decency. And the truth is, if we all do it, then we'll all do it. And we'll be the recipients of that largesse as well. And then there's that circle that goes around and everybody does, you know, uh, is better for it. You know, it's Agreed. like holding a door open in a department store when they existed. Um, you can't really hold the door open for Amazon because um, they just drop things at your door. Um, but I mean, think about, I hold, let's say I hold a door open in an, ele- in an elevator for somebody to walk in and they don't even give you eye contact. And they don't say, thank you. To me, I think to myself, well, who raised this person? You know, like I, and sometimes I'm not big enough to let it go. I'll just have to say, you're very welcome, you know? I'll just have to say something like that. But, and every now and then somebody will say, oh God, I'm sorry, blah, 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 or, thank you so much, and then you feel great, and other times they'll look at you like, you know, like, who are you, man? And I wanna say, I'm the nice guy that just held the door open for you, who are you? You know, whatever. I'm so sorry I, you know, I'm going off these tangents, but it's so much fun to talk to you about stories.
0: I love stories. So here, I'm going to go back to uh, that T-shirt, the empathy, humility, and gratitude that's on the back. Give me, give me a story where you felt the most empathy in a situation. What, what was that like?
1: God, the most empathy. The most empathy... Um, well, I had, I mean, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind, and I'm sure there are many, and I don't know if it's, it's not sympathy, it's, it's empathy and love and caring. My dad, um, died at 61 of esophageal cancer, and, uh, a lot of that was, he was born in the north of England, and it had a lot to do with the ingestion, <clears throat> ingesting coal dust, I suppose, because, uh, the, uh, hang on, that, uh, there's another story I want to tell you. You just heard that beep? Um, we will get into this, but you are more than anybody can appreciate this. I have been quietly on a recumbent bike from the beginning of the call, which I always do for my calls because I need to be in motion. Otherwise, I'm going crazy. And I would be, you know, really, really, really slovenly if I didn't take advantage of certain time that I could actually stay in motion without people knowing except for the beep that just busted me. Um, but um, and I'm not, maybe I'm speaking a little more swiftly because I'm actually pedaling, but and that's sort of a, an homage to you. So that's my right. dad is dying of cancer. He's on the eighth floor of Cedar Sinai Hospital. Uh, he's 61 years old. Um, to set the tone, it is the legendary John Huston. Uh, dr- the dr- legendary director is uh, the suite next door, and he's dying and his family is congregating, and it's a lot of, not it just kind of, uh, that's irrelevant. I don't even know why I said that. Um, So I'm I'm holding my dad's hand and he's literally, not literally, well, he is. He's one of the nicest persons I'd ever met. Just a good guy, he'd stop and pet a cat for 10 minutes on the street, you know, I'm just, you can just see how beautiful the relationship was and how much he really cared for that cat and respected the cat. (laughs) In any event, um, he said um, to me, and he was dying, That he had died at 6.30 in the morning the next night, this is about seven or eight at night. He said, you know, Stephen, I've often asked myself the question, why me? I mean, what? no, yes, I've often asked myself the question, why me? And then he stopped and he looked and he said, but then again, why not me? And I thought, wow, what a what a cool dude man like you're not feeling sorry for yourself it happened to you you're a doctor you know you're dying you know you're gone soon and you're not like weeping about it you're just it's just what it is you know and I thought you know is that an example of empathy for him at that moment I don't know exactly whether it's empathy or not but it was certainly Huge amount of respect, I think, wow. and everything.
0: I think. Yeah. I think uh, some wow. Some. Well, and how old were you at the time?
1: Twenty-seven, I think. <clears throat> wow. Twenty-seven.
0: How how did that? How did that situation? How did that? What's the word I'm looking for? Not change your life. How did that enhance your life? Experience in that.
1: Um. I think. You know, in many respects, you know, I came to the to the wedding game and the baby game quite a bit later than most people in my life. Um, and I think that had a lot to do with it, primarily because, you know, my mom, who was actually 11 months older than my dad, she was 62 at the time, was, you know, rather old, not old school, but, you know, from a different generation. And I don't think she, at the time, it was 1987. I don't think she at the time really believed that uh, she could turn it around and and get, get her game back. And she didn't feel in her heart that there was a man for her. I don't even think she thought about that. It was sort of, she married this man. She loved for I think, I can't remember how many years they were married, 30 something before he died. Um, and she just wasn't gonna... Pa- she wasn't gonna get a man, I don't think. I don't think she was looking for it. I think she probably could have because she was a, really an interesting woman and a former spy, we can talk about that later. But um, she actually also was too young to pack it in, right? So I suddenly found myself with the magnificent burden, and I use that term uh, uh, as paying homage to a wonderful documentary about a young man named Wren, we did a documentary and i'll tell you about him in a minute and there's a magnificent burden of having the ability to basically be with my mom and take her on vacations and take her to premieres of movies and to do all the things that she then it's expected of me really as her son to to enhance the quality of her life which in turn obviously enhanced the quality of my life though I do think that I probably resented it from time to time and in ways that I don't even I'm not even aware of but also I think it also had a lot to do with the fact that I put off meaningful relationships uh whether consciously or subconsciously because um I needed to be there and wanted to be there with and for my mom and I thought like if I'm Dating somebody, and I'm taking that person here and there, and traveling with that person, and my mom is alone. I'm just going to feel shitty, you know. So I don't want to do that. Right. And that's sort of how it impacted my life. It was the time I spent with my mom, and I think the reason why I got married so late and had a child and another child so late. That that's well, the circuitous roundabout answer to your question.
0: Good answer. Good answer. Uh, do you want me to go with another question, or you have another story? No.
1: You just, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm, there's no end to the stories, but you can, you keep going. You keep going, brother.
0: Well, okay. Give me, what are the things I'll give you? You can have two. No, I'll say three. You can have three things. I want to know the three things you are most grateful for.
1: Oh, man. The problem is if I tell you the three things I'm most grateful for, I mean, it, it I guess it's true, and it has to be my wife, my son, and my daughter. I mean, these are just, this is low-hanging fruit. I think you, being in the catbird seat, need to rephrase the question. Other than okay. your wife and your kids, <laughs> and, then blah, 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 and the fact that you're alive, blah, 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 and you, and knowing you, Todd.
0: Right, that's four. I get what? that. Other <laughs> than
1: <laughs> that. Um, I mean, it's it's the obvious question. In fact, there was a really funny story that somebody told on NPR where a guy said to, um, it's it's a question you just can't ask you. It's almost a trick question. Lady says to her husband or boyfriend, no, lady says to her boyfriend or, would you rather uh, kiss, the most beautiful woman in the world for $10,000 or kiss me.
0: Yeah. And of course,
1: of course the guy says, well, of course I'll kiss you thinking he's like, and, and then she turns him and says, so I'm not the most beautiful woman in the world. Right. You're right. (laughs) Right. Set me up. I can't win. You know,
0: exactly right. My, my dad gave me the best, advice ever. When I was uh, first putting Racing for Recovery together and and just kind of saying things like, God, you know, you, you, you just try and do some good and, and somebody's saying you should have done X or why didn't you do Y? And my dad said, you can stand on the street corner handing out $20 bills and someone's going to complain that they're not 50s. <laughs> <laughs> and the boy was, the, the old man was right. I was... Oh my I'm, God.
1: Okay, I have two responses to that because I right. just can't shut up. My dad had a very funny joke, which was basically the opposite of that. Kid says to his dad, hey, dad, I need to borrow a hundred bucks. The father says, 50 bucks? What do you need 20 bucks for? Here's five bucks. <laughs> but, um, That's good.
0: Um, That's good. Uh,
1: yes. And then the other... Uh, the other, oh, the other story is the following, um, you know, where you have this moment where you're looking at your child and you think, oh, I love this kid so much. Apropos of nothing. I'm just going to present the most glorious chocolate chip cookie. You know, like they didn't do anything for it. It's not even dessert time. It's just a random fun moment. You hand them a beautiful chocolate chip cookie a purple of nothing, right? They didn't expect it, and they turned to you and they said, "Well, why aren't there two? You know, like the same story. Like, like right. why aren't there two? Right. One wasn't on the table, bro.
0: Come on. Right. Come on. <laughs> Give me something. Yes. Um. Do you have a qu- Do you have a question for me?
1: Yes, I do have a question for you because you're doing such yeoman's work. I don't know what that means. Um but I've adopted, co-opted it, Yeoman, the Yeoman, I guess, I don't know, we know a, a lawyer named Ken Yeomans. so, um, but you're doing such important work, and you've been so dedicated to it, and you've been so incredibly inspirational to and for so many. <clears throat> um, I'm, A, I just like you, and so I just want to hang out with you, but, but clearly what goes with that is wanting to um, promote whatever it is you, you uh, need promoting most within your organization, and and be you know a friend to you in ways that help others, which is really what you're doing. So it's very selfless and very ama- you know, humbling. So I guess my question is, uh, before we get off the call, excuse me, um, I just want to know what I can do to move your needle and whatever I, you know this. The st- 16 or ideally 16 million people that are listening to this can do as
0: well. Well, I'll say it this way. And again, I'm going back to gratitude and we talked about this when we were together a couple of weeks ago. I, that was a great time for me, just the, the music, the stories and everything. And that's when you were very sarcastically as you are talking about, I need to raise my level of expectations, which I thought was great, but <laughs> I, I, I believe in, um, you can call it whatever. I mean, you had a couple of Buddhas around your house. You know, I'm, I'm a godly guy. I do. I love Buddha. I'm into all the things we talked about. Right. So I believe we got put together for a reason. We're not quite sure exactly what that is. I don't think some of that I even want to talk about now because I don't want to jinx anything, but I am just, I know that we're going to do something together. Um, You get what I'm doing, you understand what Racing for Recovery is, uh, and you have the ability to help me help get our program out there. And I don't know what format that will be in, but I know that we're going to do something with it, and I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm interested in what you can do with this, and I'm looking forward to the people that eventually that will see whatever we do and will benefit from it. So that's that's my answer to that.
1: Well, that's that's terrific, and um, and and a brief response is that I don't want to uh, characterize mischaracterize myself as being, you know, uh, spiritual or religious. I am, I am. Uh, my religion, to the extent I have one, is mostly just decency and empathy, yeah, yeah. and kindness and all the things that, you know, a religion cannot uh, that a that a denomination or religion can't refer to themselves as if there are not any of those things. Correct. So, um, you know, we all got here the same way. We're all equally as important. Why are we fighting about it? The, the earliest, you know, wars have been theologically based. They're still theologically based. There is no real rhyme or reason or, or rationale to them. And so, you know, uh, who said that, Oh, uh, the, that uh, religion was the opiate of the masses. Was that Karl Marx, I think, or or Gandhi? <laughs> right. I'm, mis- I'm messing up my uh, re- religion's the opiate of the masses. Anyhow, in some ex- some degree, some degree, it's really, really right, and I respect every religion mm-hmm. except a religion that doesn't respect another religion. That's what all I up. have to say. That. Yeah. Right on. Um, and um, and I think that if people want to call themselves pious or religious, they better bloody act like it. You better walk the walk. Otherwise, you know, you're a sham and a fraud. Sorry. That's
0: uh I like that answer. Let's let's segue into something. Um I watched Prefontaine last night again. Mm -hmm. Or I shouldn't I started it and was dozing off during it, but it was on. And ever since you've mentioned Jared Leto, and embarrassingly I did not know he played in that movie until after you were talking about it. But I watched that. He is phenomenal in that movie. Phenomenal. And he's, I thought,
1: yeah. yeah. Jared Leto, by the way, is one of the, he's, I mean, I was, I would say he's one of the most underrated actors in the world, but that's sort of diminishing him. He's, he's gotten the, so much of the credit and, 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 and glory. He really does deserve finally, but he could get more and, in full disclosure, I had forgotten that he was Prefontaine when I suggested him. I just thought that the his age, his the, what I believe I know about him, the fact that I mean, he is in shape. That he's in. I mean, I heard that he he lives right near me in the Hollywood Hills. Um, but I heard that he moved in a, in a really cool silo, like a World War II bunker. It's bizarre. Um, I'll let him tell you that if he ever comes on your show after you, you know, he plays you in the movie. Um, and he moved, I think, or has a place in Las Vegas because he's obsessed with climbing, rock climbing. I don't know that, and I don't really know him. I met him once, but, um, but he he was photographed in, 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 without his shirt on, and I say that with, uh, you know, with all whatever. Uh, he is ripped, and he is in fine condition, and he clearly takes care of himself and his body and it means something to him and you guys are the right age and he's you know you're both super handsome and blah 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 blah, blah and worthy of each other so jared if you're listening um we might make you that offer to play todd Crandall. don't call me crandell in the movie <laughs> racing for recovery or whatever it's going to be called that's right um, C- yeah, so, and by the way, that was not the only Prefontaine movie of the year. Isn't that bizarre?
0: I did not know that either. I thought. Okay. So there's so, another yeah. one.
1: Yeah, it was something called, I don't know, Higher Ground or Higher, would you, uh, while we're on, oh, should I, hang on, I'm going to actually Google it, because I really don't remember the name, it's, it, it's really, really, uh, so there were two movies about this college runner from was it oregon state or the or Oregon university of oregon uh who i think probably what was the main was the was the takeaway that he was really the guy that helped launch nike
0: well that's one of them yes he was that guy but he also was just a, a phenomenal runner that he was over the olympics where there was um uh, the murders, the hostages, and so forth at that Olympics. He was at that. Oh, Olympics.
1: that's right, that's right, that's right.
0: But yeah, okay, he launched night.
1: Distance runner, right? Um. Okay, so Pre was known as Steve Prefontaine. Blah blah blah. Wikipedia. Steve Prefontaine movie. Hang on there too. Hang on. Um. Oh, it's called "Without Limits." Was the other one, uh, 1998, and pre Fontaine. Uh, no, and pre. So, "Without Limits" was 1998, and then pre was. I don't remember. I think that was 98 also. Um, anyhow, how w- wild is that?
0: Well, if um, if Jared can run that well, he certainly can bike and swim that well as well.
1: No right? question. No question. I think he would, I, I actually think he would love. I mean, look, it all boils down to a fantastic script, which I was telling you about. He's an artist, you know? He's not gonna be interested, nor should we show him something that's mediocre. If we, if we lick this story and this screenplay, and it's super, then we go out, you know, and offer it to anybody we want. And I suspect it will be him first. And I hope he says yes.
0: Well, John's going to have that for you right shortly. That's, um, yep. Yeah, he's getting it. He's doing his job.
1: Right. Um, so I'm glad you checked out Pre. Um, and you, now you have to check out Without Limits and do your Steve Prefontaine f- Film Festival.
0: Right. I'm, uh, I, was, I did watch some of uh, Lord of War. With Nick yeah. Cage as well, and Jared played my former self, I guess, in that movie. Holy cow! You know, watching him self destruct that with uh, substances was interesting. So, I, I guess what I'm saying it's uh, I'm doing my research on him, and that guy's an extraordinary talent. That's for sure.
1: He really is. He really, really is. And uh, and he's choosing really interesting roles. So, and that that's what i consider one of the great benchmarks of a great actor not somebody that just you know takes leads in movies because somebody's offering them leads in movies right these are char- these are serious characters that are really really in, you know deep and nuanced and sometimes i mean he's also like one of the great chameleons i mean you, there are certain movies you don't even know you know when you're watching him you have no idea it's him um so kudos to him on that all right enough of you jared leto you you get enough glory and enough accolades (laughs) and love let's move on
0: let's move on Uh,
1: to people who need attention you don't which is good i mean you've arrived you don't need attention so Um, how about we
0: you're you're in the middle of a ride i've taken up over an hour of your time give me give the folks something either a trivia question you want to do what's our closing thing for
1: the day Okay, by the way, just want you to know that I am on a ride and that you've allowed it and that it hasn't you know uh, impugned the integrity of of this chat uh, means I can go longer if you want because I'm actually getting exercise while I'm chatting, which means I can stay healthier and alive longer, live longer and and, and be able to help you let's say right I, so I'm being I'm being Unbelievably generous by working
0: out. Yeah, I like it. Uh, if you, just so you know, if you can if you can have a conversation while you're exercise, you know that you're in a good, whatever level of your working out in right now. If you can carry on a, a conversation, you're doing it right. So kudos to you.
1: Oh, that's really sweet. You know uh, that 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 reminds me of why I started running, because. Um, there for a few reasons um i wasn't you know I, I was a mediocre basketball player but i loved the sport i'm not big enough to play football and i probably wouldn't i definitely wouldn't have had I known about the you know the uh, the the concussion and, oh, and head trauma that is associated brutal. with that um i i wasn't a good swimmer um but uh I, I, which is why I'll never compete against you in an Ironman competition. But I realized that running, uh, particularly with a guy like, uh, with, for a guy like me, you know, 5'10", 100, and at the time, probably 130 pounds. Now I'm about 157 pounds. But was the, it was something I could really compete at. Um, and the other thing is, is that when I can take a long run with somebody, I could actually have a conversation during that run. So, it is quality and, uh, and and meaningful time that one can spend, or on a hike, for instance, is is also a, a great way to do that. But if you're going on an hour run, let's say, you know, you you're not you get to know somebody. You, you know, or I don't mean that in a sort of cheesy sense. I mean you get you talk about things, and you're also out in the world, and you can point things out and discuss things you wouldn't ordinarily talk about because, you know, they're somehow popping in your mind or they're, in, they're in your face, et cetera. You can't really have a, a meaningful chat when you're swimming, you know, 50 laps right. in an Olympic pool. Right. So I, I sort of entered it because I'm a pretty social animal and I, um, you know, I thought it was the kind of sport I could actually Whoa. enjoy. And I don't mean compete in, in a particularly competitive level, uh, compete in a competitive level um that's redundant but i could really you know benefit from and and make the best of and as i told you i ran my first marathon was the 86 la marathon the first one which was uh I, it was muhammad ali who rang the bell which was kind of wow. beautiful and i cool. ran uh that was a 347 which was embarrassing but my best marathon was a 317 which you even said was not embarrassing.
0: No, that's impressive. That's not embarrassing. Oh, that's
1: and I told you, by the way, my, my favorite marathon story was my second or third marathon. My then girlfriend, Anne, who now lives in London. Hi, Ann. Annie. Um, did me the favor of getting up at six in the morning and dropped me off in downtown LA to go to the marathon, to, 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 to compete in the marathon. I think it's the third or fourth one. And I don't know if it was her mistake or my mistake or whatever the circumstances were. I told you that she dropped me a mile away from yeah. the start of the marathon. And, it, it, and And I was pressed for time. So I had to sprint a mile to the start of a marathon. And you would know better than anybody and every runner out there would know that that's pretty Bloody annoying, my friend. Yeah, and I, you know, I was saying things in my head that I would never say in public. You know, like words that didn't even exist. That were, you know, like my idea of the worst words ever.
0: Listen, you were just giving everybody else a chance. That was all. It was a courtesy run.
1: Yeah, I like that. So yeah. it was subconscious, I did that. I get it now. So the. 104 people that actually outran me because of that benefited from it.
0: Absolutely. Thank you. you.
1: Right. God, what a nice spin.
0: So I did have this for a question because I will be out there with you again. And when we go running, notice how I'm already putting that out there. You know, getting up to your place up there is all that ups and downs and all that. Are we actually going to leave from your place to go running down that hill and then have to come back up, or are we driving somewhere?
1: No, um, I we didn't get into much of my environmental obsession and passion, but for me um, to to have to to have to have a carbon footprint to go exercise is is, is painful. Agreed. So while I have a solar powered house and all electric cars, and my footprint is lower than most, I just feel like there's something really beneficial and amazing about being able to figure out whatever your workout is without having to, you know, cause traffic or CO2 emissions or time that you could be spending exercising.
0: Agreed.
1: One of the great things about living up in the Hollywood Hills where I am is there's an incredible hike slash run in walking distance right down the hill. Beautiful and it's terrific. So you don't have to get no car and you know and a boy and and you it's great. It's it's just a lovely thing to do. And so and know, it's a, it's an entirely zero emission experience, <clears throat> well, except for the, the fact that you're wearing out a little bit of rubber on the bottom of your shoes, which theoretically you know to replace creates a, a carbon footprint. You know, something, something like, like
0: that. that something like that well i'm looking forward to we're going to do that for sure
1: yeah i do have a poo story should we end on the poo story
0: let's do that we'll end on the poo story that's good
1: okay so you gotta end on a poo story you know you start <laughs> on a pee story you end on a poo story. there you go How about uh, that's that right book ends my friend that's good next that's by the way the next, the next time, we time we talk, talk we'll, we'll, we'll it'll be really all
0: about vomit, vomit. Okay. okay absolutely
1: right okay. so i am on a panel uh some film panel and they're talking about we're talking about eight uh, movies that are that have an environmental impact and you know I'm a teeny bit holier than thou because I you know there are a few smart asses out there I'll say yeah okay well so you made that or you made that but what do you do you know what do you do to lower your carbon footprint uh that was a little bit of a Cartman inspiration from from South South Park. Yeah. What do you do, Cal? Uh, Cal? Um, and I, you know, and I started, I just decided, you know, saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the bait. And I'm going to be an asshole. And I just went for it, okay? And I went for everything. The solar power, the, you know, the drips, the low voltage lighting, the electric cars, the boards I sit on, the blah, blah. I just, you know, the vegetable garden, the orchard, all that stuff. Now, I understand that, that you have to have a bit of uh, resources more than most to be able to, to really be green, uh, unless you're just like really, you know, a mountain man, which is even more admirable, or mountain woman or person. Um, so I said, and, 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 I, and I said, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I, lo- I not only do live that, walk that walk, but I walked that walk this weekend on a dog walk. And I was on that hike I was just telling you about, and I had my dogs with me. And uh, one of my dogs, you know, scooted to the side and did her business. And I looked down and it was one of those wet ones, right? And it was wet, right? And I thought, I've got a bag here. There's just nothing I can do to pick that sucker up, right? Uh, I suppose I could come back in a week after it's baked in the sun and it's sort of like a nice pie, right? Like a nice cow pie. But that wasn't really going to happen at the time. So I said to the person who asked me the snide question, I said, so I looked around and I grabbed my bags and I picked up six or eight or ten other poos there you that go. other people had left to offset my dog's poo print. Okay. Or even. Yeah. I mean, it's just a little bit of a nice, thoughtful moment. And... It's a great way to organically talk about poo, right? Um, Without, I don't know, peering as though you're sort of like, sort of perversely obsessed with poo, because I'm not. I think it's a very healthy thing to talk about.
0: This, my friend, has been one of the most extraordinary podcasts I've done. To have those two bookends like that, I mean, you can't beat that.
1: Oh my God, what do I have to do to make it the most extraordinary? Tell a vomit story?
0: We'll, we'll do the – I'll have you on again. We'll, I'll tell you what. When we do Jared and you, then we'll have a vomit story.
1: Uh, that'd be terrific. I do have one, and it was at a World Cup soccer game in L.A. Okay? I, it wasn't me vomiting, just you know.
0: Well we are good. well I want to hear that off the record. Okay,
1: and one at my sister's dinner table at a birthday party. Okay, I'll tell you that too. They're 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 both worthy of your podcast, I promise. <laughs> I am so grateful that you had me on. I'm so grateful that you deemed me worthy enough to take this hour and 7 minutes. Um, and I'm really grateful to you for all the work you do. I'm, I find you terribly impressive and humble and funny and cool. And um and I thank you on behalf of all the people you are helping. So,
0: all good, my friend. Um, thanks for being on. I'm going to talk to you soon and see you soon.
1: Okay, your children are very lucky to have you as a papa.
0: I appreciate that, buddy. Right. Thanks a lot talk for being on the day show, day. bud. Take care.
1: but Take care. You too. Bye.
0: That was another awesome episode of ignite euphoria as usual if you or a loved one is battling addiction please call racing for recovery 419-824-8462 and look out very soon for our new documentary the road to 100 take it easy everybody